This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. If you're a person that likes to come to work and work more of like a nine to five job during the day, but maybe have a little bit more flexibility with evening and weekends, then I think it works really well. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we learn all about research institutes and how to know if those PhD programs are right for you. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 125. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Hey, Dan. Josh, you have a good Thanksgiving? It was great. Glad to hear it. Did you eat too much? Well, this was the third year in a row that my wife and I and some friends did a turkey trot the early morning of Thanksgiving. This is where you run on Thanksgiving morning when it's below zero? Yep. You run a 5K, so then you can gorge yourself guilt-free later I was going to say, this, this has got to be the justification <laughs> for it, because if you exercise during the day, then you can eat whatever you want. I, this is what I understand. It's kind of weird, because what I love about it is my family eats Thanksgiving dinner around 2 p.m., so I'm extra starving by then, and so I just pile the plate up. Why is that? I've never understood why it's always late in the day. My family is the same way. It's 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. I think because you are assuming this is the one meal of the day. I so always we're eat again at the, the end of the day. I always pile it all together in a bowl and eat it as dinner. That's true. We always break it back out around 8 p.m. and go for round two. But how was yours, Dan? You had a good... It was, it was great. We had a great time, and it's been nice to have the time off. And you didn't travel. No, it stuck around. No, oh, that's nice. Avoid the traffic, avoid the airports. All right, Dan. Well, I know that Thanksgiving is over, and we're officially in the holiday season now. But with our beer selection, we have a little bit of a remnant of fall. We almost missed it this year. We almost did. I think we've had a pumpkin beer at least once every year since we started the show. And this year is no different. So today we are drinking a fairly popular pumpkin beer, I'd say, the Pumpkin. Who makes this one? Uh, this is from Southern Tier Brewing. And I was actually trying to look up where Southern Tier Brewing is, and it looks like they have three very disparate locations of Lakewood, New York, Pittsburgh, and Cleveland. So not sure where this particular bottle of pumpkin came from. Yeah, every year we kind of roll the dice. As everybody knows by now, I'm not usually excited about our pumpkin beer selections. <laughs> this year is no exception. This is not my favorite, Josh. Okay, so I will say about this one, what drew me to this one is the marketing is pretty cool for this beer. They obviously spent some time. Look at this, uh, look at this pumpkin guy. Oh, they made a mascot. Yeah, he's a got like a cartoon character. Pumpkin head. He looks somewhat sinister, really. He looks like a, a a king headless horseman type character. He's got the pumpkin for the head, but he's wearing robes and has a staff of some sort. Yeah, definitely. So we'll put it in the show notes. So the other thing this beer says, the tagline is pumpkin pie in a glass. What do you think? Um, no, thank you, sir. It is. Do you like pumpkin pie? I do love pumpkin me pie. Too. It's one of my favorite pies, but this is not. This is not hitting that mark for me. There's there's like a, a weird sweetness and also a weird bitterness that I can't describe. So I will say we had a pumpkin beer a year or two ago that claimed they put whole pumpkin pies in the beer. And the issue we had with that beer was it almost didn't taste like pumpkin beer at all. I mean, it was, there was very little essence of pumpkin pie. Absolutely not, yeah. Um, this has essence. I think you know, I think it has some of the spices. It's got the cloves and the, the, the vanilla, cinnamon and the vanilla. 
but there's a chemical flavor to it to me, or, or maybe it's just the high gravity. I mean, this is an 8.2 percenter. Yeah, you're right, Dan. This has this definitely is a sweeter beer. I can get the vanilla, but you know, you mentioned the chemically taste. This almost tastes to me like it is sweetened with maybe like a, a saccharin or a sucralose. There's, or, a, there's a fake sugar in there somewhere. Yeah, that sweetness with the slight bitter aftertaste. It's not necessarily my favorite. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm pretty well done with it, but thank you for sharing <laughs> it, and <laughs> happy holidays from one and all. Happy holidays. And if you love pumpkin and think we're full of it, feel free to let us know that as well. Yeah, well, Josh, we got some other exciting uh, emails this week that I think we should share. Would you want to read it, or do you want me to? I'm sure I can read it. So we got an email from a past Hello PhD guest. Uh, we got this email from Stephanie Gettings, and Dan, I was using the search bar on our website, and determined that we talked to Stephanie almost exactly four years ago today on an episode that posted December 13th, 2015. Oh my gosh, was anyone even alive then? I guess we were. So this was back from episode 24. We talked to Stephanie about leaving with your masters and leaving with your sanity. Yeah, it was a really fun episode. Uh, Stephanie was one of the people that we, we spoke to who had hit some roadblocks in her PhD, at some point realized she didn't actually need it to do what she wanted to do and left with her master's degree and then went on to do a job that she really loved. So if that sounds like uh, something you're struggling with, definitely go back and listen to that episode. But what we heard from Stephanie this week, four years later, what happened? Yeah, so uh, she got an email about someone who just recently heard her interview that it resonated with them. So, so this email said, Hi, Stephanie. This morning I listened to your story on the Hello PhD podcast from 2015, and I cannot believe how familiar your story sounds. I cut myself off before entering a doctoral program, which was the hardest part because of the sense of identity that goes along with it. And I just started a job in oncology clinical trials. Our paths wind through different forests, but it was so gratifying to hear you affirm a choice that I've just made. I hope the clinical trials world suits me and my skills, but truly, I feel more optimistic and hopeful because of your journey. Thank you. And this, this was uh, from Isa. Proof, Josh, that talking about these things helps us. I think it's it would be our tendency to hide to, you know, if we made an alternative choice or a choice that left the path that everybody has been encouraging us on, we'd say, well, I better just keep my head down and not talk about it. But here's the proof. Sharing it means that somebody else who's going through it doesn't have to feel alone. And I just love that email. Absolutely. I think a risk that we run into sometimes, Dan, I mean, our podcast is called Hello PhD, and we talk to people who've completed uh, PhD training. But if we're, if we're not careful, we can give the impression that, that we think, which we don't, that the PhD is the path to everything. And actually, there's lots of things you can do that have nothing to do with having a PhD. And it's a completely valid decision if you're in a PhD program or graduate program of any sort and realize this is not what you want to do. It's your life and there's so many great things you can do out there besides graduate school. Josh, I'm honestly surprised that I haven't talked everybody out of getting a PhD <laughs> yet, but I'll, I'll keep working on it. One last thing to note, if you go to promega.com slash PhD, you can find all sorts of information about how to do various scientific techniques like cell culture, reporter assays, PCR, cloning. It's their student resource center. So if you need a little extra help or you're trying to train a new student in the lab, visit promega.com slash PhD to check it out. All right, Dan. So our topic this week comes from a listener who reached out to us who had some ideas for things she wanted to talk about. I know. I love when we get topic suggestions from our listeners. You can email podcast at hellophd.com or you can find us on Twitter 
And then we don't have to think of stuff. Exactly. And and this this is such a, a great topic because I knew absolutely zero. This is like totally off my radar. We're going to talk about research institutes. Yeah, Dan, so what do we mean by research institutes? I'm at a university. That's an institution, right? It is. It is a research institution. A research institute is a non-higher education organization, and it kind of exists between the worlds of uh, academia and the private sector. And many research institutes are formed to, to support a specific public mission. Um, some of the earliest ones were astronomical observatories, but they can be formed to, to do things like um, improve weather forecasting or support agriculture and fishing or environmental mapping. Um, a lot are formed around defense, uh, energy, things like that. Some of them start around the explicit goal of improving economic growth. So really trying to push the front line, moving research out of the lab and into application or working directly with patients. And so there are these weird hybrid organizations that are not exactly a university and not exactly industry and not exactly fully application-based and not exactly pure research-based, but they live somewhere in the middle. And some of them actually will train students. And so in this weird world, it's not exactly like the university process that you and I came out of. There are some differences that that are really important to know, especially if maybe you're interested in one of those boundary-pushing services of a research institute. If you're interested in what you hear today, you know, certainly it might be something to consider if you are interested in pursuing graduate school to expand your search a little bit beyond just traditional academic institutions, but some of these institutes that have their own graduate training programs. Josh, I should say that this is, even though I knew very little about the world of research institutes, they are very common in the United States. There are some estimates between 11,000 and 16,000 different research institutes in the U.S. alone, and of course, more around the world. One of the most famous ones, perhaps, here is Scripps. So if you've heard of Scripps, then, then you've heard of a research institute. So today, Josh, you are going to talk to Kaylee Helfrich, who is at the UNC Nutrition Research Institute. And we're going to hear about all of the differences between what it's like to be based at a university in a college town and what it's like to work at a research institute where these are more career scientists and technicians and academics that have kind of left the university piece behind. Maybe they're not teaching, but they're doing this work at a research institute. It's going to be very different, but Michaela really lays out the pros and cons and will help you make a decision if that's something that's on your radar, you can decide to, to go that route. Definitely. So let's hear what she had to say. My name is Kaylee Helfrich, and I'm a fourth year PhD student at UNC Chapel Hill in the Nutritional Biochemistry program. And so what's interesting about how I'm doing my degree is that the nutrition program is essentially split into two parts. And so half of the faculty are on the main campus in Chapel Hill, and the other half of the faculty are in a research institute called the Nutrition Research Institute, which is right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a little town called Kannapolis. Yeah, and for those of our listeners, which I imagine there are quite a few that have no clue about the geography of North Carolina. How far away is that from campus? Yeah, so it's almost exactly two hours. So you are effectively off campus. Yes, I hardly ever come to campus. I'm here maybe three to five times a year coming for things like workshops or trainings um, or occasionally seminars. One of the reasons we're talking today is you had reached out to us um, because you thought the experience that you're having as a PhD student, not on a traditional academic campus is kind of a unique one and there's some sort of unique challenges and unique opportunities of that experience that you're having now. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what some of those are? Yeah. So 
one of the reasons I wanted to that I reached out to you and suggested doing this was because there's um, quite a lot of differences between doing a PhD on a normal university campus and doing a PhD at a research institute. And there's really not a lot of information about what the differences are. And there wasn't any information four years ago when I looked at doing this, and there's really no more information now. And I'd say that the some of the biggest challenges would be um, the distance from main campus and uh, some of the disconnect from other people in the program, um, which can be difficult, even with technology, it can be difficult to kind of maintain that collaboration, that community. Because in, in your example, as you were saying, I think your program is a little bit split between the institute that's off campus, that's two hours away, and then part of the faculty and students in the program actually are right on the academic campus. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so there's most of the PhD students are actually on the main campus. I think there's only about four of us right now that are off campus, although it's been as high as 12 in the past. So tell me a little bit about, have, have you had experiences maybe doing research on a traditional university campus before? Yeah, so I'd say that in terms of lab work, it's almost exactly the same from a university standpoint to a research institute standpoint. So if you're in the lab, it's pretty much the same. So I was at Clemson University for my undergraduate degree, and I don't really see a lot of differences. The differences become a lot more apparent in terms of the uh, the social aspect. Um, so for example, um, if you're trying to form research collaborations, those can be a little bit more difficult because you're limited more so to the people within a single building. So where I'm at, there's only about 70 to 80 people within the building, which is really nice because I end up knowing pretty much everyone. So if there's a question, it's like, I need help with this assay, there's going to be someone that I know who can do it. Until you start to get to assays or experiments that are more out of the normal things that people do, and then it's more difficult to find people. And that's when you start having to email people. So there's this one assay I'm trying to figure out right now, and I'm literally emailing the authors of the original journal and collaborators from a different university and everything, because there's really no one there that's doing the same experiments. So do you think that would be easier if you were sort of on the main university campus? Yeah, so I think that it would be easier in terms of that there's more people that are accessible and you can get training more easily in person. But I think it's a little bit harder, too, because you don't necessarily know everyone. So you may not know the opportunities that are already there, whereas in a smaller setting, you know exactly what experiments everyone's doing because you see them doing those. I see. Do you feel like you're you know, being at a large university, there's a lot of support mechanisms and there's a lot of resources available for students, which I imagine are not as easily accessible to you. Is that something you notice or something you feel like you miss? Yeah, I'd actually say that's probably one of the biggest detriments of doing a PhD somewhere else. So there's still every single thing that's available to a normal student is accessible to me and my student fees are paid so I can access everything. The problem is that when you're essentially two hours away, going to a doctor's appointment or a workshop isn't just the length of that appointment or workshop. It's five plus hours. And essentially, by the time you come here and then go back, you're completely exhausted. And so it's really a full day trip every time you want to come up. And so I know that in the past on this podcast, you guys have talked about PIs not wanting students to take too much time out of the lab to go do other stuff. And it's like, well, that workshop's an hour, hour and a half. Well, think about <laughs> asking your PI to leave for essentially six hours. Um, it's an entire day of experiments that you're missing out on, especially if you're doing like 
time course experiments or anything that's a longer term, you can't really leave for an entire day. Well, so you obviously are here on campus because you're here for a workshop. So what has that experience been like for you? Have you found that the faculty at your institute campus actually have been fairly open for students to go take advantage of some of these things, these opportunities, even if it is going to require some extra time out of the lab? Yeah, so I think it really depends on the PI. So I know some uh, some PIs at the Research Institute are very, very open and actively encourage people to spend one or more days a week in Chapel Hill to cultivate that experience. Um, but other ones are not so much. And so that, I mean, that comes back to choosing a mentor that can work with you. I'd say there's slightly less uh, PIs there who are willing f- for travel just because those are the PIs who have chosen a an environment that's very focused on research. And so a lot of them actually aren't teaching a whole lot. So they're they're focused and almost entirely on research. And so that's more of the expectation for students and postdocs as well is more of that that focus. Did you factor that in at all when you were choosing a mentor? No. So my situation is actually kind of unique. And I know you guys have talked about this before, but um, something that I learned from experience was choose a mentor, not the university. And that's a mistake that I ended up making was choosing a university that I really wanted to be at and putting a little bit less impact on the PI. And so I ended up in a situation where I switched labs about halfway through my first year. And the situations worked out completely fine, um, but it was a little bit more difficult to switch labs in that situation because I was planning to stay in that area. And so I essentially had one person to choose from. We're on a main campus. You're going to have, I mean, basically everyone in the department and maybe even people in other departments. And I had one person. So, which worked out fine for me, but it's definitely but it probably a bigger risk. <laughs> it, it, it is definitely a bigger risk. If that yeah. didn't work out, then it would have been a bigger change. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that's something that anyone who's looking at going to a situation like that should consider is you need to be pretty sure that that PI is going to work out for you or that you have an alternate situation. So another one of my friends switched labs um, and she ended up coming to Chapel Hill. So that's also an option in this case. But um, I imagine you already had an apartment or you were living. Exactly. I was already settled there. <laughs> yep. I didn't want to move. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about some of the challenges. So tell me a little bit about, are there benefits, from a student's perspective, are there benefits to where you are being at a research institute that's not on a university campus? Yeah, so there's, I think probably the biggest benefit is relating to the environment. And this might be specific to where I'm at, but I've seen it played out in other situations too. So essentially, um, it's very much of you're coming to work. And so if you're a person that likes to come to work and work more of like a nine to five job and be in a very high powered research environment during the day, but maybe have a little bit more flexibility with evening and weekends, um, then I think it works really well. And obviously that depends on the PI a little bit too. Uh, but that's what I've seen is basically you come to the institute to work and then you go home. Um, it works really well for, pe- for people with families that I've seen. And it's a little bit less of a... Uh, dynamic situation like you'd find more on a main campus, which can be a detriment if you're looking for a student experience. Um, So if you're wanting like that student experience, you're really probably not going to find it there because there's there's maybe not as many students, there's not as many activities. Um, I think the closest bar for me is like 15 minutes away. So it's not something that's convenient to go. Um, It could be good or bad. Exactly, exactly. It could be good or bad. Um, But it's not like everybody's saying, oh, it's Friday, let's do happy hour. No, no. no. And I mean, obviously, people have friends and they'll go out and do things, but it's just it's less 
easy, I think, and it needs a little bit more structure. Um, another good thing about that is I feel like I'm treated much more like an employee or a postdoc at this stage, um, which makes me feel much more prepared for the next step in my career. But again, if you're looking to be treated more like a student, then that may not be great. So I think, think that a research environment can be really good for certain types of people who are looking for more of a job type environment. I know another benefit is it's really easy to find mentors. So some people who are on maybe a main campus, their mentor office is really far from their lab or their mentor is constantly che- uh, teaching or traveling or all these other things. I My desk is literally five feet from my mentor, which is really nice when I need to find her. Um, I mean, maybe not so nice if you don't want your mentor looking over your shoulder, but I think that's really convenient because I stop in and talk to her all the time or when she's coming in in the morning, I say hello and um, get to see how everything's going. Mm -hmm. So your experience, I would say, is even a little bit unique for students who maybe are part of a research institute, because while you're part of a research institute, you still maintain this connection to a large research university. My question is, do you have any experience or do you have any ideas about what it would be like to be a graduate student at a pure research institute without any connection to a university. Is that something that you would be interested in or something you would you have opinions about? So I can't say that I've spoken to anyone who's done something at a pure research institute. I think it would definitely be even more difficult because a lot of the benefits for me doing this where it's still tied to university is I can still get access to a lot of those resources. Where I think if you're at you a mean like campus resources. Right. Which yeah. I think is especially important when you're a PhD student. I think you need access to a lot of those workshops and training opportunities, mental health resources, maybe the facilities or other professors, and I think that you would lose a lot of that. I think you'd maintain virtually all of the benefits in being in a situation like that, maybe the greater space or maybe the greater funding or the proximity to the PI, but I think that you're the negatives of doing that would be increased. Okay, so along those lines, when you were applying to graduate school and you were thinking about where you wanted to go for graduate school, were you specifically looking for sort of research institute type experiences or you just sort of happened into, you know, you found the research you were interested in and the faculty who were doing the types of things you wanted to do and it so happened just to be at a research institute? Was that something you thought about or weighed the pros and cons of at the time that you were applying and choosing a graduate program? Yeah, I had no idea research institutes were actually even a thing. So I was applying to the really um, decent nutrition programs, and I knew that I wanted to basically study the biochemistry of how food works in our bodies. And so I paid a lot more attention to the programs. And then when I applied to Chapel Hill, I found out that they had this really interesting opportunity and that it had been around for about uh, six years um, before I started there. So they're kind of figuring out a lot of new things. I know that there's other institutes that are further along, and I think have worked out some of the, maybe the negatives that we still deal with. Because one thing we have to advocate way more for things that we need or want because they're still figuring it out. But I didn't even know that was an option until I wanted to go to Chapel Hill. And then basically all of the PIs who were taking students were at the Institute. And so I basically made that decision. And so it wasn't um, until after you got here, no, you realized like, okay, if I want to do the type of research I want to do, it's going to involve me not living here in Chapel Hill, but actually going to this other place two hours away from here. Right, right. And another factor in my decision, too, was um, my husband. And we were trying to find some place that we could both work. And basically, he picked 
Charlotte as the best place for him to work. And that worked out well for him. But yeah, I didn't really even know that was an option before I started interviewing. So it seems like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the things we've talked about that you've mentioned being considerations, at least for, for the type of research environment you are at revolve around not, not lack of, but at least fewer readily available resources than you might have if you're on a traditional campus and maybe even being at a smaller institute, less human resources to reach out to when you need help with experiments or you need advice on, on certain even scientific topics. Do you think some of those challenges would be similar even if you're at a traditional campus but maybe a much smaller campus in a much more remote location? Maybe you were out doing field work or you were separated from a campus for other reasons. Do you think those would be similar situations? Yeah, I think that would be very similar. I think a lot of the challenges that we have are very similar to anyone doing field work where basically you're a little bit more isolated. You have to advocate for your needs a little bit more. You have to have a little bit more organization and prioritizing what you need. So when you do get to go maybe to that home campus or somewhere you have resources, you can meet all of those needs. I think it's pretty similar. Well, I know one of the reasons that you reached out is you wanted to make sure people out there who might be considering graduate school or research opportunities might also consider research institutes. So is there anything that we haven't talked about and haven't covered that you would want people listening to know? Yeah, I would say really talk to the people in the labs of people you're considering, especially at those research institutes, because they're going to give you the best idea of what it's like to work in that situation. That was one thing that I didn't do when I was interviewing and something that some people that I know didn't do and they ended up leaving the situation because it wasn't really exactly what they'd expected. And I think that talking to people who are already there and in that situation and can tell you both the pros and the cons of doing a PhD in, in that unique place um, will be the give you the best idea of whether it's a good fit for you or not. I, I know you mentioned this, and it's a little more like a traditional work environment there than it might be if you're on campus. I know one thing we hear about, and I have experienced, sometimes part of the culture in PhD programs, at least in the sciences, is there's not this set nine to five and you know, on one hand, that could sound like a positive, but the negative side of that coin is sometimes it feels like, well, when do I get to go home? Maybe am I supposed to work every evening and every weekend and that maybe I feel taken advantage of? Do you feel like the work environment that you have at the Institute is a little more nine to five traditional hour focused? Do you feel like there is that expectation as a graduate student there that you should be working after hours and evenings on weekends, or do you feel like that's alleviated a little bit at the Institute compared to a traditional university campus? Yeah. So, I mean, that's going to be a little bit lab dependent, but for me, I think it's alleviated a little bit. There's still definitely an expectation of weekend and evening work, but from what I've heard from other people, it's maybe not quite so much. And so, Obviously, if you're working on a project that requires that, then it's 100% supported and everyone's like, yes, that's what you're doing. Um, but I think part of the reason is because a lot of the people who work at the Institute are nine to five. I'd say more than half the people are technicians or research uh, scientists or lab managers or even admin staff, and they work a nine to five job. And so I think that that high proportion of that hourly structure leads a lot of the faculty and students and postdocs to more of that. It is a little bit lab dependent because one of my friends um, does work more like a 70 hour work week um, on a regular basis. So if that's something that's appealing to you, and then that's you absolutely still there can. Too. Great. Exactly. Yeah. If, <laughs> that's, if that's what you want to do, you can always do that. Yeah. 
What about the PIs? Are they there in the evenings, weekends? PI dependent? It's pretty PI dependent. Yeah. I think my PI is pretty much 8.30 to 5.30 mm-hmm. every day. Um, she'll come in, I think, every other weekend yeah. for a couple hours, but okay. mostly. But then other PIs, yeah, they're working also a 70-hour week. So it seems work. like it really is kind of this middle ground between academia and industry. I think so. Okay. That's mm-hmm. interesting. W- would you pick this again? Like if you were back graduating from college, looking at grad programs, knowing what you know now, would you pick this type of program again? It's kind of a hard question. So, Are you comfortable answering this yeah, question? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm in my fourth year now, and I'd say I only really got comfortable and confident in the past like six months. So I think that at this point, I would say, yes, I'd do it again. But in the first two and a half years, I would have said, absolutely not, no way. Um, And so I think it takes a lot longer to adjust to this kind of thing because it is so different. Everything that you see and hear is targeted towards a group that doesn't necessarily apply to you um, because you do have to advocate for yourself because classes are a little bit harder, even though they're online or in person, you have to motivate yourself more. So it's a little bit extra work and um, extra steps to make yourself heard and acknowledged by your peers. And I think now I'm really happy with what I'm doing, but I think that a preparation more knowledge of like what you were going into would be much more helpful for this. What are your next steps after graduate school, at Um, least as you imagine them right now? Still figuring it out. I'm kind of working by um, eliminating what I don't want to do. That's good. Um, So I definitely don't want to be a PI Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to do a medical science liaison. And that's about all I'm at right now. I'm looking at doing a postdoc in the Raleigh Chapel Hill area Mm -hmm. because I think it'll give me a little bit extra skills. I'm looking at moving more into some of the genetics and nutrition and then um, getting more of the training during that part and seeing what other career opportunities are out there since it's harder for me to get now. Well, that was one of the things I was curious about if you were considering doing a postdoc. It sounds like you are. And Mm -hmm. so if so, are you seeking out research institutes or are you hoping to transition back to a university campus? I want to transition back to that university campus, get a little bit more of that student experience that I missed out on before. Yeah. Well, this is great. Thank you, Kaylee. Uh, First of all, for talking to me today, but even more so, thanks for reaching out and proposing this topic. I think it's a really, really important and unique one that we haven't really talked about on the show that there's this whole other set of graduate students who are out there that aren't just on a traditional university campus. Well, thanks for talking to me today. Thanks. All right, Dan. Uh, after hearing Kaylee talk, do you think you would have been interested in a research institute for your graduate school? That's a tough call. She did say that you can't go out. You, people aren't going out to the bar afterward to complain <laughs> about graduate school. So I don't know if that would have worked out for me. Maybe you could have been the change you wanted to see in the world. That's true. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it sounded interesting. And I actually am, am drawn to the notion of it being a little bit more like a real job, more of a nine to five. Um, I think there's a lot of mental health sacrifices you make when even when you're not at the lab, you feel guilty for not being at the lab. So uh, there are there seem to be some benefits to me. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. You know, I think if I was considering graduate school today, something like that might have been would be very appealing to me. I think back when I went to graduate school right out of undergrad, I was still still really drawn to and looking for that college campus feel a lot of the things that went along with not just the the training and the lab work but but actually the whole college student um, experience especially coming from a small school I was really interested in the idea of going to a large um, state university with all that comes with that beyond just the working in the lab 
I mean, we used to do a lot of things, Dan, like go to sporting events, go to plays, go to concerts. Things that are related to the campus. And and being at this research institute, maybe you're near a town. You know, if you're near Charlotte, North Carolina, I'm sure there are sporting events and plays and things to do, but they're not related to that university system. It, this seems like it could be a great option for somebody maybe coming back to school mm-hmm. after doing work in industry or or maybe in the lab or some other career. And you've got a family and you, you kind of need that structure on your time so that you can live the rest of your life. Yeah, you could argue that we're perhaps somewhat distracted by some... <laughs> maybe there'd be less no. distra- <laughs> distractions going on uh, at some of these other It'd be interesting places. to know whether you graduate faster at a research institute. We should find that out. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, well, thanks to Kaylee for talking to us. I learned a lot. And if any of our listeners out there, maybe you're doing graduate school at a research institute, um, let us know about your experience. We'd love to, to share it on the show. Yep. We'll just remind you one more time. You can email us podcast at hellophd.com. Or if you have a question or, or a topic idea, and that's exactly what Kaylee did, we would this would not have come onto our radar if she had not emailed. And we are really grateful she did that. Uh, you can tweet to us at hellophd or leave us a message on the Facebook page. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you don't like the show, don't leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we, we always like the feedback and it helps new listeners find us. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, click the Become a Patron button, or visit patreon.com slash hellophd. We appreciate the beer money, because I'm about to go pour out this pumpkin. (laughs) Time to restock, Dan. We need to head to the bottle shop and stock up for our winter beer selection for the next few episodes. Yeah, so if people have recommendations, send them to us, uh, podcast at hellophd.com, and we will look to see if we can find them in our local shop. All right, Dan, always a pleasure, and I will talk to you next time. We'll see you then. It's your life, and there's so many great things you can do out there besides graduate school. Josh, I am... Scooter agrees. Scooter dropped out of grad school. It's going to work. <laughs> really, really, really good voice control, Josh. Scooter.